3: World.
4: Wayne's, Wayne's World, world. party
3: time, excellent. excellent! Hi, Wayne. Hi. <laughs> Hello, Stacy. Uh-oh. Well, Natalie is going to desperately try to not just sit and quote the movie the entire time. Because this is welcome. Natalie, when I think of Wayne's World, I think of you completely. Thank you. You are very welcome. This is, So, is this your...
5: Favorite movie of all time I mean it's definitely Going to be in the top 10 Contender
3: Absolutely I get it What's your jams Why
5: Um, I think because I was obsessed with SNL As a kid Okay I also was Just I don't know Naturally led towards um Metal and punk I think I don't know why Maybe because of
3: My father Oh um, Society Yep
5: And um, I don't know We had I distinctly remember My mom purchasing the Wayne's World VHS from McDonald's because it was a promo deal. Hell yeah. And we would just watch it over and over and over again until I learned the whole movie. And growing up, then realizing that this woman who directed it, Penelope Spheris, was somebody who I was obsessed with in other ways. And she she made a... She basically... is the representative of like punk music in the um, film industry because she made a movie called Suburbia and then she did the the, the documentary series Decline of a Western Civilization. And And also just generally bad
3: fucking ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
5: And of course we'll talk about her But yeah So I just kept coming back To this movie Over and over again And I wanted to be Tia Carrera
3: And I still want to wear All of her outfits Right now her outfits Are outstanding Yeah And apparently A a lot of the outfits Were just kind of Cobbled together From different like Thrift store finds And stuff like that Even that red dress At the end That Well we will talk about That red dress later Well
4: this is a story Of a film That was cobbled together By a largely indie filmmaker And I think that is why It has so much charm Also this Mm -hmm. is before the heyday of SNL movies and there was no real blueprint for how to make a movie like this. SNL uh, didn't have a film since the Blues Brothers. Yeah, so
3: this is the only the second SNL movie
5: and at I, this And I point think still time.
3: one of the highest grossing
5: SNL it movies. It is the yeah. highest just, yeah. grossing. Yeah. yeah,
4: they've never been able to recapture what magic was contained in this film and I, and I get it. You watch that movie, it's so rewatchable and it's really um, a movie just filled with moments and quotes. I think that's why people are drawn to it so much. And I think that they realized that and tried to recapture that in so many comedy films after that point where it's like, that's what we need. We need these like characters. People can get tied to these moments that everybody remembers in quotes. And for me personally, it was also tied to Paramount's Carowinds. And I, at one point was going to Paramount's Carowinds. We got a season pass. Wait, what is that? That is the theme. Par- that's like my six flags. And oh, it was a Paramount. What? It was a Paramount theme park, and it what? had fucking the ride. A that's where the ride It didn't have second. the ride. It had Hold Wayne's on. World. It had Stan Makita's Donuts. That was where we would go talking eat lunch.
2: About. <laughs> it, it, it
4: had a rock shop that had a no stairway sign on it, it and you Hold would on. go in there, and that's where I bought uh, a lighter with a weed leaf on it because I was that cool. What dude. What are you saying to me? And it also had the hurler. And that was you the are ride. making this up. I know. Right. It was unbelievable. It had like the rotating Stan Makita on top of the, the and it was really more where I would go get burgers and cheese fries. That's where we'd always eat lunch. And the hurler was amazing. Natalie, you would love this. And one of the reasons why I love the hurler so much. The first time I wrote, I got to ride a ride where even being in line was fun because they had TV monitors the whole way down the line, and they would just show you all the best clips from Wayne's World. So, like, you just... I think I just, that Natalie
3: has died. <laughs> She's not moving. <laughs> I think that she has died. Where, Where's she sits? We're talking about Paramount's
4: Carowinds. Is this still open? I don't know if Wayne's World still exists in it. I, I also remember when you walk into it on the street in a huge uh, paint, was a way and then no way like as you you like walked over that to walk into it. I went there like dude there was a summer we had a season pass and we had some somebody's mom would just take us almost every single day. I like lived at Wayne's Worlds for like an entire I summer and I loved it. And it just added shook. so much to the film for me because again much like you guys loved that movie. Big fan from the beginning and I think a lot of it now I'm realizing and I'll stop gushing here in a second. is they weren't doing as much of that fourth wall breaking, uh self referential ref- referring to like commercials and stuff. That whole moment with the with the sponsorship stuff. All of that stuff was really novel at the time, yes. I think. And and something that you didn't see a lot in comedy movies that just really set it apart from everything else plus just hold on a second hair metal culture was just so fun to you cannot
5: get away from this yet i
4: (laughs) i know for someone who loves theme parks like obsessed with harry potter world (laughs) i
5: am obsessed with theme parks and this is one of my favorite movies and i have never heard about this you're lying to me.
3: <laughs> well, it's still, we are looking it up right now, and it does exist. Is it still there? I
4: it don't seems. know. There's I have no not way been. they still
3: have Wayne's World I
5: land. I feel
4: like they've replaced it by this point. I have not been. But the Hurler, by the way, was a wooden roller coaster. Was Fuck very off! Yes, it was very much like the Cyclone, but like times eight, And was so much fun to ride. One of my favorite rides in the park. Well, the
3: hurler still exists. The hurler is still at the park. (gasps) That's so. I think that we at least need to go to uh, Carowinds. Let's make it a big trip together. But unfortunately, this episode is not about this theme park. But maybe we (laughs) could do one on the theme park
0: someday.
5: How
3: dare you? We were just there for your wedding,
5: holding (laughs) you.
3: didn't tell me that this park was there.
5: I know. I
4: should have said something. Well, again, I don't think
3: another wedding. Holden because we want to go to Wayne's
4: World it was it really was so much Fun and uh, yeah so just Weirdly attached the Whole movie experience with this Park of course you did. Yeah, I, I did. mean that
3: makes complete sense. I wish that we I was going to Wayne's World. I mean, I think as a kid, I only knew anything I knew about Batman it was because of the Batman ride. The reality, sir. The
5: reality that I thought I knew has just been shattered
4: <laughs> for me.
3: Well, I will say the reality of what I knew about Mike Myers has been shattered. a little bit. Yeah. yeah,
4: I'm not shocked though. No, I,
3: I've heard tale. it makes sense, <laughs> but as someone that I've never really looked into Mike Myers before, I didn't really know he was this much of a stick up the ass diva to the point that you know what it is too and I I, and I I know that so many the hundreds of thousands of people feel this way I feel like Dana Carvey is someone that I want to protect he is someone that is such a huge inspiration to me. I mm, love chopping broccoli.
5: Yeah. Chopping broccoli. <laughs> I feel like Henry or I still says and broccoli, broccoli. At least once a month.
3: Yeah. We st- every <laughs> almost every time I chop broccoli, I think about that. Dana Carvey to me is such a huge comedic inspiration. We are definitely going to do an episode on him at yeah. some point. Hell yeah. uh, and to learn of the strife that he was going through while making not only this movie. But just with working with Mike Myers in general and then having to be tethered to him because of Wayne's world, when he really was, it was just a sketch that he was asked to do. Like the movie was being played out in real life. Whoa, except for the fact that Dana Carvey doesn't worship Mike Myers in (laughs) real life, which is the only note he got about the character Garth in the beginning. All he needed to know was that he worshiped Mike Myers and that's it. Well, Wayne, he worshiped Wayne.
4: Wayne. Wayne, he yeah. worshipped Wayne, and I mean, who in it, it turn,
3: fits, I mean, it fits the character. I love Garth Algar so yeah. much. So I funny. definitely, I, I, well, I'm not going to go down that road, but I think that... you Whoa. want to kiss on him. <laughs> oh no, I definitely want to kiss on. I was thinking of a Halloween where I remember <laughs> having an evening with someone that I didn't know because they were dressed as Garth. Oh right, yeah, we don't need to that. Man. So, <laughs> it
2: doesn't
3: even. It was. It was an evening. It was just a. It was a romance, you know, it, was a, it was a shortened romance. What were not you so. dressed like a Bad as?
4: romance, yes, absolutely. I was
3: dressed as Cher from um, Witches of Eastwick. Oh,
0: very <laughs> saucy. Yes.
5: What a love affair,
3: I'd watch that porn what a love affair if that is a word <laughs> to describe it I uh, I now I can appreciate Wayne's World so much more than I did as a kid because honestly I was way more I watched Airheads a lot more to get my heavy I, I get watched, I've seen a heavy I've seen Airheads a hundred thousand times and I think it's maybe it was just because it was on more and also because uh, Brendan Fraser and Steve Buscemi I'll take sure Steve Buscemi's sexy but um I really do. Now, as an adult, I have such an appreciation for Wayne's world and especially for Tia Carrera. Good Lord. She still looks fucking great, by the way. She looks amazing. And just to see how green they all were and remembering how sketch comedy on television is very different than being in a feature film. Oh, yeah. And you can tell with them because also, can you imagine how difficult it is? All right. You make a couple jokes. It's a five minute sketch. But to turn it into a 90-minute movie, it was something, like you said, Holden, it was something that they were still trying to figure out. What is the formula of this? How do we make it so that it is entertaining the entire time? I think definitely you keep it to at least an hour and a half or under. Oh,
5: God. If you to over that, just quit. You can't make a movie about a sketch longer than an hour and 25 minutes.
3: And I think <laughs> that there are a good amount of unfortunate sketches turned into movies that are way too
5: long. Sure. Night of the Roxbury
3: should have been 15 minutes.
4: It- well, I've heard yeah. that the final 20 minutes of Night of the Roxbury is some of the funniest shit ever, but you have to slog through the entire first whole part of the movie to get there.
3: But I did have the soundtrack, and I did have the Wayne's World soundtrack as well, because Wayne's, Wayne's World, World soundtrack, soundtrack is amazing. Great. It's amazing. great. And so is the Night of the Roxbury soundtrack, if you're into that. I don't remember what what's up? up.
5: Well, I yeah, know that I song.
4: No, no, you know, you know zero what? interest, Jackie. Is <laughs> there other songs in it? Uh-oh. Yeah, there's some LaBouche on there. Oh, the <laughs> So shall we get into it? The story of Wayne's World. We're not worthy. We're not We're worthy. We're not worthy. We We're scum. Uh, and I think <laughs> I, I would say it starts off with Mike Myers. And we'll do a brief rundown. Not the gonna... man
3: himself. There's
4: so many things to cover here. And I want to spend really extra more time on uh, Penelope's Fierce. But let's start with yeah. Mike Myers. And then SNL and all that good stuff before we bring in our director. Mike Myers started out acting in commercials at just two years old. And when he was 10, he got to be in a commercial for a Canadian electric company with Gilda Radner as his mother. Oh, Flashback comedy to another episode. Starts. She died. Oh, don't oh. there's no crying this week. <laughs> this is supposed to be a fun one. Different episode, sadder episode. Mike Weir <laughs> said I've wanted to be on SNL since I was 11, and I believe that to be true for sure. His TV debut would it be at just 12 years old on a show called King of Kensington?
3: Now, I think it really makes a lot of sense that we, as we unfold how he acted on stage, that Mike Myers had a lot of problems with himself and still does Mm -hmm. and is very open about his low self-esteem and his aversion to being touched or hugged and being drawn toward characters who are ugly or awkward. He says even in an interview in 1999, he was looking at himself on a screen And he says, I see a guy with a really thick Canadian accent and acne scars. That's about it. Mm -hmm. And Andrew Adamson, who directed Myers in the first two Shrek films, says a lot of comedy comes from self-depreciation, from looking inside and representing things in a way that we haven't seen them. That can be a painful process, which is part of where uh, I think Mike Myers, in being upset not only at himself to push and be better, also, unfortunately, he takes out on the people around him.
4: Yeah. Fair. Fair. I believe it. Fair, fair. All right, deemed fair. (laughs) But it's so crazy for someone with such a low self esteem to have such brassy confidence in these other ways. Because like I wouldn't be able to do this. The literally the day after he graduated high school, he auditions for the Second City uh, Canadian touring company and gets it. And I think that's completely crazy to me in terms of like my own personal trajectory. He then moves to the UK. He founds an improv group called the Comedy Store Players in London's Comedy Store. And in the mid-'80s, however, he ends up going back to Toronto to join Second City's main stage show cast That uh, and and did that for a little bit. Then he moves to Chicago. So... uh, He's literally just doing the thing one does in Canada to just move, slide <laughs> all the way into SNL home base. It's
3: called the Canadian slip and
4: slide. Yep, slip, slide, right into Saturday Night Live.
3: <laughs> but I think that this also, in, in bolstering this confidence uh, and the going back and forth, now in this interim time, see, this is actually where he started doing the character of Wayne Campbell. Yes. So when he went back to Toronto... He was actually working on a Canadian sketch all night music video show called The City Limits. So, the series originally featured a cross-genre mix of interviews, music news, comedy sketches, and music videos, but it only showed from midnight to 6 a.m. on Friday and Saturday nights. It was written and hosted by Christopher Ward, who would put a lot of effort into making 12 hours of content every week. And Man. so, he was friends with Mike Myers and a VJ on Canada's MTV called Much Music. So, this is the <laughs> beginning of Canada's MTV. Such a Canadian name. So, much City music. Limits. Yeah, it, Much it, Music. It, Like much, much music. (laughs) He was doing this character that he would come on that he pretended to be Christopher Ward's cousin. He said the premise was that Wayne was Christopher's annoying cousin from the not-so-prestigious suburb of Toronto called Scarborough. According to Meyer, Scarborough is the New Jersey of Toronto, and in the depths of winter, it can get so bleak that locals call it Scarberia. <laughs> he says, I wore a cheap, long-haired woman's wig underneath a baseball cap covering my short, punky haircut. Wayne would often interrupt the show unannounced. Rumor had it that because of Wayne's quote-unquote unannounced appearances on the show, City TV received viewer complaints for letting Scarborough ruffians (laughs) into the studio. He says, I still cherish that as my greatest review. There was never a script for Wayne's appearances. Christopher just believed in me, gave me the ball, and let me run. So this is the first inference of what... Wayne Campbell would be he says it never really changed from the first time I did it that's kind of how everybody in my neighborhood dressed originally it was a cat hat because at the time in the mid-70s cat hats were super popular which you remember you know the cat hat where it's like the uh yeah the ship what is that what are they far, farm Farm, farm equipment?s What? Farm you mean, equipment?s Cat hats like the, uh, the farm equipment?s Cat hats like uh, the cat
4: company hat? like a hard hat? No, the cat company. Oh, okay, yeah, but they do the they do the big uh, machines <laughs> that go. Raw, 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 raw. <laughs> I looked up a picture of cat hats
3: and it's just a bunch of cats wearing. Hats. Of course, I'm gonna post that <laughs> I'm gonna post that on Instagram. It's cats <laughs> <wearing hats.
5: laughs>
4: so Mike no. Myers. Ends up modeling this character after himself and his friends in high school. I love this quote. He said, there were 12 Waynes in my class. Wayne is everybody, including myself, who I used to hang out with. I was always a student who liked to hang out with guys who partied and get my homework done. People just thought I was an idiot who liked to party. People always underestimate Wayne's intellect. And uh, so, yeah, and even the Bohemian Rhapsody moment in the movie is modeled after the, him in the car singing and arguing over who would do what part uh, during the song, even I love back it. in the day.
5: Well, that part works because of
4: Penelope's Ferris and And we will absolutely uh, yes. get to that. Oh, we, a thousand percent. Mike Myers was bad about it. We'll get to So that it's then. cool,
3: though, because he was creating this character for so long that it also, not, and not to defend Mike Myers at this point in time, hey. that it has to be difficult to bring in a partner. This was a this was a solo character that he did. He obviously didn't even really think that he needed a partner. You mean as in Garth? Correct. Uh. Until SNL comes along. Mm-hmm. So he
4: gets cast as a feature player on SNL in nineteen eighty nine and while there he wants to reformat the sketch structure for Wayne and have him hosting a public access cable show, which is something he discovered upon arriving in America that that sort of thing existed. So that's when he taps Dana Carvey. Now, what you have to realize at the time, which we, I don't think, mentioned yet, Dana Carvey is a huge hit on SNL. Mike Myers, not yet. At no,
3: because he just starts SNL and Dana Carvey already had the church lady. He's already, he had easy, to yeah, kill I always it. forget that. I always forget.
5: Think
4: yeah. of them coming
3: at the same time. Which is why Mike Myers Which is was so put off by having him as his partner because he didn't want to be seen as not as good as Dana Carvey. But it's also why it is kind of smart that Lorne Michaels forces them to work together. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. He is, oh God, I'm going to yell about oh, him no. more in this episode. <laughs> but Lorne Michaels is, he's a brilliant evil and it makes sense of why Dana Carvey originally made a Dr. Dr. Evil that sounds exactly like yeah. Lorne Michaels. Well, and that's, but also
4: Dana Carvey was doing a Lorne Michaels impression that is it's largely believed that Mike Myers stole from this what Dana I'm saying.
3: Carvey. Yeah, that's why it makes sense. Like because Lorne Michaels is a Dr. Evil over all of this. And you'll see this again and again in everything that he has. He has to have his fingers in all these different pies. And he has to make sure that he controls the temperatures that the pies come out and that the temperatures of the pies will still be. You don't want anybody's fingers in a pie. Get out of my pie, Lorne Michaels.
4: And Mike Myers even at one point had a quote about being like, I don't care anymore. You can quote me if you want. He always wanted people on eggshells. He always wanted people feeling like combative and competitive against each other and all that stuff. Holden yes. McNeely loves his friend Michael Che. Loves Saturday Night Live. Greatly. Would still like to write for it. I will definitely be submitting a packet this year. We'll see what happens. Um, Big shout out. Wow. We will see what happens. And
3: also, so Christopher (laughs) Ward, who originally was working on this character with Mike Myers, was actually originally nervous that the Wayne character wouldn't translate to American audiences. He says, I remember I thought, is Wayne going to play? isn't this a suburban Toronto character? And when I saw it on SNL, I realized, no, this character's absolutely universal. There's a guy just like this outside Poughkeepsie, outside Bakersfield, there's a kid that talks like that and probably looks like that. And I think it's actually, I think it's wonderful because I don't even ever really think about something not translating from Canada to American television culture. And it makes sense that he would think that like, oh, we don't know anything about like, farm life guys that are just bored as fuck that are playing hockey in the middle of the street I but think that do. was
5: um everybody I was friends with from 1997 until now I
3: always <laughs> wanted them to kiss me and they never had any desire you don't want them to kiss you because eventually they're just
5: going to knock you up and then
3: I
4: know then gonna but then we'll
5: have a baby that they can't pay for
4: <laughs> <laughs> so going back to Dana Carvey yeah the one note that Mike Myers gave to Dana Carvey for the character was Garth loves Wayne, but it was really Dana Carvey that brought in that whole part about him being a shy savant um, and that is yes. actually very skilled at drumming.
3: And even Dana Carvey says, literally all Mike told me about the part of Garth when I took it is that he worships Wayne. That's my main thing, is to be the guy who worships him. So he took on the role of Garth as a favor originally because Mike Myers came to him after Lorne Michaels like, you really should get Dana Carvey to be a part of this because he tinker, tinker, tinker tapes. And then, so, Mike Mike Myers went to Dana Carvey, asked him to be Garth, and Garth was fine with it because, essentially, he's just supposed to, and if you watch the SNL version of Wayne and Garth, he is just kind of his hype man that laughs at what he says and kind of supports and kind of, like, holds up the boards
4: yeah, and stuff. Yeah, it was more really for the film, but a lot of that uh, character came from Dana Carvey's older brother, Brad, who was an right. engineer- that developed hardware for the at-the-time incredibly popular editing program Video Toaster and could, f- oh, quote, fix yeah. the dryer with a butter knife, as Dana Carvey put it, and when everyone around him was astounded by these things, he'd just give out a tight lip. dinks. <laughs> uh, the tight mouth feature ended up being extremely painful for Dana Carvey during the filming because he didn't realize... During a five-minute sketch, it's fine, but shooting a movie was going to be way, way worse. But I will say, he
3: ended up with TMJ after filming the movie. He had to hold his mouth so Worth
4: tight. it. I will say too, though, that uh, like that is one of my favorite moments in the first movie is when he does the drum solo and the guy comes up. I like soon, to like, play. That was amazing. He's like, thanks. I'd like to play.
3: <laughs> and also like dana remote. carvey actually did that drum solo oh yeah that he is a he is a known musician yeah um, it does remember it's the piano yes Dropping broccoli, piano. broccoli. <laughs> and i think that it was kind of but even in looking at it you could see where people would think that he didn't do that drum solo it looks like they're trying to hide his hands but no he actually does it Good for him. Good for him.
4: And, but a lot of the nerdiness, too, was based on himself. He said, I'm pretty paranoid. I didn't go to the high school dance or have a girlfriend. So Aww. I hear I you, buddy. God. I didn't I kiss one. Him. I didn't get my him. lips on a woman till I was 19. <laughs> yeah, I
3: do. And I, I, I was reading this interview with him, and he was just talking about how he would have to, like, psych himself up, psych himself up. He's going to ask a girl out. He's going to ask a girl Aww. out. And then he'd walk up to her and just be like, hey. <laughs> and then walk away, and then be like, and then he's like, I'd go home, and I'd try to be going to sleep at night, and be like, stupid, stupid, tomorrow, tomorrow, we're gonna go, Aww. we're gonna ask her out tomorrow, and that that was so much of his high school experience.
4: I love so it. so cute. So, the first sketch they did debuts on February 18th, 1989, and was the final sketch to air that night. I actually love to tell the story in sketch writing classes, because Murder Fist, we always considered ourselves a group uh that only did 10 to 1 sketches what i mean by 10 to 1 sketch is literally 10 minutes until 1 a.m. they would put on the final sketch of the night on SNL and it's always and this is still true it's always usually like a really weird one off just kind of strange sketch Stress. that just barely yes, made it, it on the show world yeah. yeah and and i love those sketches i would always try to stay up to the very end because i knew that that sketch would come and that always was my fa- favorite sketch of the night and i think it had a great influence on what i would do with sketch comedy later on in my yeah. life but i think also people get confused they think it's 10 to 1 like 10 to 1 odds which does make sense but it's actually yes. just the fact that 10 every, to 1 a.m that the 10 minutes to 1 a.m sketch is always just going to be this oddity which i super super loved and in wayne's world one of those sketches, the rare 10 to 1 sketch that ended up being this massive franchise. Uh, and, and it it just did so well for the audience. Uh, and it just, it it got such a big reaction that the whole thing turned into a reoccurring character sketch. And of course, reoccurring mm. character sketch, you've got so many on SNL. I'm blanking on all of them right now. But there's just, what is, uh, uh, my least favorite one was the Chris Kattan one. Are you uh, talking
3: about uh, Corky Romano? Um, uh, no. no. <laughs> that, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Corky Romano keeps coming up on my list. Um, no, the, the superstar. No, their, uh, the dancer one, right? Yeah. T-
4: t- well, tango. Oh, you're talking
3: about a specific one. Yeah, the Chris Katang Cotin- Mango. Mango. Is mango? I was thinking
4: Tango. Yeah, God, I hated Mango so much. See,
3: that was my lost yeah. years of SNL where I kind of just fell off um, because I was finding me. I
4: was finding me for the first time. (laughs) I was finding Will Ferrell, and I loved him. So I stopped watching (laughs) because he was so good on it. Molly
0: Shannon. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses. Plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find?
1: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's.
2: Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. ba
1: ba But
4: either way, I was never a big fan of recurring character sketches. That's why I fucking hated Mad TV, because they just repurposed the same character in the same sketch every single week. It made me insane. But yeah. um, this was actually a really good one. I loved all the Wayne's World sketches. Like, the rare... I think the talk show sketches
5: work better because they always bring in a new character yeah. so there's always like a new fun yes. dynamic to it. And it's it. not
3: just them in a different environment it's that yeah. the environment stays the same yes. and then characters within yeah. it changes and I think that's what it is it's creating the world within a sketch that the characters come into the world rather than the characters going yeah. into another world. And reformatting
4: segments on the sketch like the lists that they would do and the different the dream sequences like they really played with the form and i think that's how you keep a reoccurring character sketch alive and well and not just eye rolly at least for a young holden every time the sketch came and that's why i hated mango because it 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 was just this literally the same through line beat for beat every single week Mm -hmm. just with a new a different awkward Male celebrity. It was just like not, it just nah, yeah, was so was, boring to me. Yes. But I will say the goths I did love. How were you feeling today?
3: Forlorn!
4: <laughs> I had to work a double shifted Cinnabon today. That was sort of like
5: a precursor for uh, Portlandia. Which yes. Is yes. Such a fucking <laughs> wonderful show.
4: Uh, Dana Carvey <laughs> said, I remember I always thought, aren't we just doing Bill and Ted? I thought we'd be nailed as doing a Bill and Ted ripoff. But I think Mike's a clever writer and he put his own stamp on excellent and way, no way. Bill and Ted did precede us, but I guess it didn't matter.
5: Nah, they're different.
4: I didn't even think about that connection. Nah, but
3: I didn't either. They're just, because they are so different.
4: Yeah, for sure. And a big part of their success, of course we just noted this, but I'll say it again, was creating those incredibly quotable taglines. Party on Wayne, Schwing, we're not worthy. There's a million ways to quote a Wayne's World sketch and the movie, like yeah, just, monkeys yeah, monkeys fly at my butt. butt.
3: <laughs> Which it was funny. I was reading through uh, how difficult it was for them to translate this movie into other languages <laughs> because of their own language their that own they essentially put into it. And so it, that, that I think I forget if it was, it was some country that was trying to say the monkey when monkeys fly at my butt and, and it changed it to yes when the Judgment Day inevitably comes. I was like, oh, <laughs> That's not Good, fun lore. at all. Like, how would you? How would you try
5: Translate oh, the A sphincter says what As says
3: sphincter says what? How would you uh, translate what? that? We're also Brian Doyle Murray uh, in this movie Ugh. and Scrooge combined
4: is my yeah, father. The best. And
3: I was struggling.
4: So uh, good. What? So they. I know. I actually like feel bad for that <laughs> that character in Wade's world. He's just trying I know. his best.
3: <laughs> I
5: think that was me grown up. Now I feel sad for him. Yeah, like trying his best. He doesn't to know be what he's hip.
4: doing. <laughs> So they'd end up doing the sketch 21 times together, most recently for the 40th anniversary special in 2015, and had special guests, which really put them on the map with Aerosmith, Madonna, Heather Locklear, all of this, all of this sort of stuff. Uh, And that is what leads Mike Myers and husband and wife team, Bonnie and Terry Turner, to write a script. So...
3: Mike Myers says one of the biggest influences on the film was Pee-wee's big adventure, which Hell makes yeah. a lot Hell of sense. Yeah. Check totally. out our Pee-wee Herman episode. He says, where you had a fully grown man playing a teenager in the 80s, but there was a strange 50s overlay. It was a heightened reality. We were trying to go for a heightened reality version of the suburban heavy metal experience, which, because this is a car- more cartoonish look at what these characters and
4: what yeah,
5: metal are. Yeah, you know what, though? To me it it has a theatrical Like the lighting is very theatrical But the characters are super grounded And like I think with Penelope Spheres coming in The the metal scene felt legitimate It felt right. real, it felt very much like
3: Million bars and parties that I had been to mm-hmm. Right And this is also the beginning of a, lot, uh, of a lot More strife than they had Even experienced while doing the SNL Skits as well and turning it into a movie Was where Dana Carvey really started To have a lot of problems with Mike Myers So Mike Myers felt threatened by Dana Carvey We knew this before he even started Working with him as Garth And apparently, Mike didn't want Dana Carvey in the movie at all, because he felt insecure that someone who had his own creative ideas would get in the way. Now, Dana Carvey does say that this notion is ridiculous, and Lorne Michaels, who produced the film, says it's overstated, but adds... This isn't to say that they're not both comedians and that occasionally there's not some disagreement over who should be speaking what, which is just a bullshitters way of saying of course they're both great and they both want to be the funniest part of this script, but this will lead Dana Carvey to quitting while writing the script and he wasn't he was never going to do Garth in the movie and never do Garth again. Wow and he actually quit and he had to ha- he came in with a lot of things that Mike Myers needed to do to hold up his end of the bargain so that he could be a part of it because he was trying desperately to get parts of Garth into the movie because essentially when Mike Myers wrote it with the husband and wife writing team Bonnie and Terry Turner they had written Garth almost completely out so Dana Carvey came in with a bunch why. of ideas
5: that's stupid like Bonnie and Terry Turner are like prolific
4: They're amazing writers.
5: Yes Writers Why would they write out The character that brings The most heart
4: To the well, movie Well I will say If you do remember though Garth Wasn't quite Really that as much In the sketches Right Yeah then. but
5: I think I mean, maybe just because I can see it in retrospect, but I think Mike Myers
3: on his own carrying that movie it wouldn't have been charming at, no, at all. No, and even Dana Garvey says, obviously in the show it was fine, and then once we got into feature film territory, defining the roles was a little harder. That's as delicately as I can put it. When it was just a sketch, I would just be reactive and laugh really hard and support
4: him. Right.
3: And so in the movie he says, you learn things about Garth, that he's actually pretty technically brilliant and can make things and such. He says, I was like Garth in high school, which is why he wanted to bring more of these aspects of him as a person into the character, and which is why they didn't believe him when he said he was going to walk. And he did walk, unless he was able to come back in and ad lib on set, as well as add his own parts of Garth. And Mike Myers allowed him to do it. But we'll see what he tries to do after the movie. Well, is and
5: also, I mean, not only that, but the movie itself to me is much more of a love story between Wayne and Garth and like Wayne and. Uh, Cassandra, because uh-huh. like that's almost Cassandra is almost a side plot to like what's going on with Wayne and Garth through the movie. Totally, right?
4: and I mean I couldn't imagine it without the moments I, when he freaks out when Wayne walks off the set uh, during the the. He's just like, I'm having a good time. Time, <laughs> nah. <Not. Not? laughs> and Foxy Lady is so funny when he like starts like thrusting his pelvis and then he like <laughs> realize the character realizes he's thrusting his pelvis and he's like looks down and he's like yeah he's like do yeah! his whatever his body's doing just which all also looks- is
3: kind of fun because that part wasn't even supposed to be in the movie and on set he i was having it. such a bad time with mike myers that day that he was just supposed to turn on foxy lady and look over but he danced so hard and kept ad-libbing to the point that penelope spears was like Keep it in. This is way too funny. And Mike Myers was so fucking pissed about that dance.
4: That's so funny. Uh, makes sense. Also, really quick about Bonnie and Terry Turner. They co-wrote on Coneheads, Tommy Boy, and the Brady Bunch movie, which I love. The Brady Bunch.
5: I adore Bunch that movie. movie. I love it. Super Bunch
4: fun. Also created one of my favorite shows that I would watch growing up uh, with my fam: Third Rock from the Sun. Great love show. that show mm-hmm. John Lipgau is so good Jane Curtin I love that show and I would that love show, to do
5: that thinking. that'd be fun
4: I love Third Rock it was such a surprise amazing show like so underappreciated I feel like yes uh, yeah Britney Spears had this to say about the script I have to tell you did you say
5: Britney Spears?
4: Britney Spearis, uh, oh, Penelope Penelope Spears? Spears. <laughs> Britney Spears Penelope Spears Penelope Spears Britney Spears had this to say Britney. about she's having worked on you. the movie uh, i do pop music i don't
2: work <laughs> oh, on comedy
4: movies oh, why are Spears, you get out of here what's wayne's world y'all <laughs> uh, no Penelope fear has this to say about the script i have to tell you i felt a little bit of a challenge to turn a five minute sketch into a 90 minute movie but all of us had that fear there were so many rewrites on the script, it was unbelievable. You do some rewrites and the script supervisor gives you different colored pages. There's like 10 colors and we went through all 10 colors three times. So it was a lot of rewriting as we went along, which makes sense though, I will say, knowing the SNL process where you were mm-hmm. changing those scripts right up until the, the show time. And, and I think they just, that's their process for yes. sure. So, but uh, yeah, let's talk about her. Penelope Spheris. Yeah. Oh my God. This woman is so badass. She's so cool. She's been my...
5: I don't want to brag, but she's been like um, a hero of mine for a long time. Oh my time. god, I don't want to brag, but
3: do you want to look at these pictures of cats with hats ah. on? Oh my god, they've got so many hats. Kittens on parade. The kittens, kittens on parade.
4: On parade. Penelope, Penelope Spheris said, I love those kitties on parade. Put them in a hat. Put them in shoes. I will watch I them it. for a million hours. Are so
5: small. Those cats are very upset. They do not like
4: it. She also Said, I believe each of us is born with certain characteristics that we genetically inherit, some of which are good, some not so good. My mother was extremely compassionate, my father, more of a barbarian. My father was passionately ambitious, where my mother was not. The most significant traits I learned from my parents were a strong sense of survival and unfaltering tenacity. The father was literally a barbarian, he was totally a. Like a, a uh, whatchamacallit, sideshow strongman. He's a strongman. He was a strong man. He
5: also owned the carnival.
4: Yes, Magic Empire Shows. So Penelope would end up traveling around a lot in her early childhood through the American South and Midwest until her father was shot and killed by a man in Troy, Alabama.
5: So basically, a, a black man had come onto the circus circuit with them and a woman. Uh, and I, I learned this, by the way, you can listen to a really great interview with Penelope on uh, WTF. I hope someday to talk to her myself personally. Um, but uh, so he uh, there was a woman working in the carnival who was sprained her ankle. And uh, they asked this young man to go get some ice. And so to get some ice, he walked up to the ice cream stand, which he had to step in front of a white man in line. The white man did not care for that. And uh, so he hit him over the head with a cane. And so he went back to Penelope's father and told him and Penelope's father confronted this white guy and the white guy pulled a gun out and shot him dead. Jeez. And because it was in Alabama in the 60s, the man f- did not go to prison for one single day Ugh. Wow! because it was to say uh, they basically the, the charge was he shouldn't have been defending a black was what they said. Ugh. So, Pretty, uh, so this is a stuff. fun way for her to start her life. So her dad, yeah, he, her dad died in that, in that that altercation, and then they the carnival had to
4: disband. Yeah, of course. And she moves with her mother and her three siblings to California. If you could imagine that situation for her mother, they would mostly live in trailer parks as the mom ran through a series of stepfathers. After high school, she went to Long Beach State College to major in art and then studied psychology at the University of California, Irvine. She ends up putting herself through film school at UCLA while working as a waitress at IHOP and Denny's. To make ends meet.
3: I do want to say a fun story about how she met Richard Pryor, which I know that we're going to, I'd like to talk further about Penelope Spheres, but I thought this was just a fun story. So she was walking with her, uh, at the time, her, uh, her boyfriend at the time. And they were at both at UCLA. And her boyfriend stopped her and said, and said, oh, my God, Richard Pryor's in front of her. She goes, who's Richard Pryor? So he doesn't care. He's like the funniest person alive. So he stops him to say hello. And Penelope Sphere says, and, he, and Richard Pryor said he was looking for a couple of film students to help him do a movie. And I said, well, you just found them. She says, I'm not really religious, but I think God threw people like Richard in my path because I had such a difficult upbringing. I think he wanted me to laugh a little. Uh, So I spent my first two years of actually making money, even though it was cash laid on the table next to a plate of Coke. That was my first (laughs) real gig. I really think I got a lot of sense of comedy from Richard Pryor. She said, I had my first daughter during that time. I remember, because we were shooting, and I fainted on the set. And when I woke up, Richard was standing, pointing down at me, going, this bitch is pregnant. And I said, there's no way I'm pregnant. But he was right. (laughs) That's
4: so funny. So, yeah, she ends up breaking into the biz by producing short films for comedian Albert Brooks, which were aired in the first season of Saturday Night Live. She was even talking about how she was... Hang out to her. I think Lorne Michaels was with a friend of hers. That's how they met. And he was literally like hanging out in her living room one day. It was just like, yeah, I'm going to New York to try to get this show off the ground. This like live Television show, you know what I mean? Like it was like that, and he's
3: like, and he's like, you should come with me and help me make stuff. And she's like, I just had this kid, I can't really <laughs> go, I gotta stay here. But they kept in touch, which is how she ended up getting Wayne's
4: World. Yes, yeah. of course, right? And it was through this this gig that they would uh, end up. He would see her work and whatnot. Now we've got to get into it briefly, albeit. The Decline of Western Civilization. I just want to say right now, one of my favorite documentaries of all time. I think Natalie would definitely agree with me on this mm-hmm. one. Decline of Western Civilization, Part 2, The Metal Years. Go back and watch the first one. It's about punk rock. It's amazing. Um, the punk scene in California. But, oh, my God. This is one of those, like, this, if I was like, hey, this is a, a essentially a This Is Spinal Tap. It's like a mockumentary. People, I'm sure people would believe me. By
5: the way, she was offered to direct This is Spinal Tap. Yeah, yes,
4: totally. <laughs> but like, uh. it is so real and yet so insane and so funny and so over the top and just delves into the excesses of what the metal scene was in L.A. at the it's time. It's still
5: kind of like that over on Sunset Strip. A little strip. bit, It's a little not bit. that different there now. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Some of the same clubs are
4: still open. It's just the characters in that movie. I mean, and there's a big there's I would big love to names. do a whole one on it. We should I, I, talk about honestly, it when we do a
3: whole episode you know, on it.
4: It is that documentary that I constantly try to convince people to watch. It's like the Sing street of documentaries for me. Like, I'm yes. always trying to get people to watch it. No one ever watches it. I'm like, this is the greatest documentary about music i've ever seen and one of the best documentaries ever just the
5: if you yeah if you like punk punk or metal or even find it interesting this is like required watching it is
4: down incredible it is like oh these people really existed this wasn't just a fabrication on mtv these are Mm -hmm. real people and especially my favorite people who didn't make it and watching them act like they're going to be this amazing giant star that
5: that, the 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 decline too kind of lends itself to the Wayne's World yes. uh, environment, Usually. basically.
4: Usually. Yeah, It's all of the characters I feel like you see in Wayne's World, you get from that. Either way, The Decline of Western Civilization Part 1 was released in 1981, And that is about the L.A. punk scene. Like we said, it has bands like Black Flag, The Germs, X, and Fear, among others. And then you have the whole trilogy. While the trilogy is going on, by the way, she is working as a writer on Roseanne for a few seasons.
5: One of the best sitcoms of all time.
4: And then she ends up uh, doing a movie you mentioned uh, before, which I've never seen, Suburbia, about suburban punk kids. So, again... Tapping into the suburb scene specifically, which, again, is going to really connect to Wayne's world.
5: Yeah, definitely. A much darker version of it. And um, Flea before Red Hot Chili Peppers is one of the actors. You probably wouldn't watch it unless you were into punk because it's really just about like squatters. Right, Um, right. But it was like biblical to me as a 14-year-old. Hell yeah. I bet.
4: Then she ends up getting... The Wayne's World gig, calling it a lucky shot that she got based off of having known Lorne Michaels from back when he did the SNL shorts. Spheris said, I had been just I had been just struggling as a female director in this business for many years. I was 45 years old when I got the job. I just kept hanging in there and Wayne's World happened and it sort of flipped my life around.
3: So she was in the process of working on this documentary for PBS <laughs> yes. that was about um, psychotic killers in the yes. Patton State Hospital for the Criminally Insane <laughs> which also I want to watch I know, that right? please. She says I was scouting locations for a PBS special called Asylum and I dialed my agent from a payphone. So she's in The In the 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 mental institution. institution. She says, since my contract was not signed yet for the PBS special, I had to decide. Make a movie about a group of poor lost souls and try to make sense of insanity or... Do a studio comedy, <laughs> not a hard decision," she said. I immediately found myself with a parking space and an office at Paramount Pictures. I was required to join the DGA, for which I am grateful, as it provides lifelong residuals. I even had health insurance for the first time in my life. Wayne's World was my seventh movie. I was forty-five years old. She is such an bye inspiration. Bye bye, I am selling out. <laughs> do fuck yourself. But it is crazy that, like, the entire all of Wayne's World, that the entire plot rolled around the idea of quote unquote selling out Mm -hmm. which is technically what the director also felt that she was doing at the time right by being paid by being paid for what you do by being paid for working hard which it's funny in watching Wayne's World now in such a different time period where the idea of selling out is so different now it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that you get to that you give up your hard roots doesn't mean that you're any less of an artist
5: well now nowadays with social media and the ability to get your work out on your own there aren't as many middlemen but in the 90s there was all of these like sort of vipers that would come in and be like i'm gonna make these deals for you and i'm gonna take all your money and i'm gonna own all your intellectual property forever and you'd be like all right because they give you a check for we got five thousand dollars.
4: We got five thousand dollars. But, but I, to that point, one of the secrets of this movie's success, which is a secret to success, I've covered so much in pop history and in Wizard of the Bruiser, is that because it was this small, like side thing, she got away with having a big bud, a big ish budget studio movie, while also having the executives not give a shit about it because it is this tiny thing. She they said,
0: didn't pay
3: attention to her whatsoever, which is why it's good. She said, honestly. "I guess
4: the studio didn't really." care because it was a 14 million dollar movie in an age of 63 million dollar average so they just went okay we will just let her do it even though she's never done a studio movie before i just think it was a lucky moment in my life and was able just manage and it was also like i mean this is getting into the filming of it i mean this was done in a month this was done, like literally they got on a, in a limo and were taken to a plane and flown directly to Saturday Night Live to yes, continue working to on the show. Yes, get them,
3: yes. And even Lorne Michaels said that she was chosen specifically because he knew that she could work quickly. Lorne Michaels said she worked with comedians so I thought in terms of sensibility and style because she could move quickly which is what we were also sort of hoping She was a run and gunner do.
5: which is like a benefit that Sometimes studio directors don't have If they've always had huge budgets this They don't know how amazing. to run and gun And
3: I think that that's why Also Wayne's world worked In such a slipshod way When you're talking about how like the, the script was changing Up until the moment that they would Get it on film That it was even changing During filming That she was able to be so dynamic was such an asset to this movie Because the movie would not be Anywhere near as good If they were working with someone That didn't know how to move on their feet And think quickly with what they were doing
5: And not to mention There were like three female directors at that time. I mean, there was none. There was like Penny Marshall. I don't yes. know. I'm sure there were more than three, but it was
3: extremely rare. Well, and even, I think it's kind of adorable that even Penelope Spheera says, people, especially young women filmmakers, come Amy to Hacker me Link. Sorry. and say, how did you do it? How did you do it? She says, I was 45 years old when I did <laughs> Wayne's World. I had been virtually broke up until that time. Yep. And so I became a multimillionaire overnight they gave me a righteous percentage of the box office they didn't know it would be that successful so this is the thing too oh they gave her a percentage oh they gave her a percentage of the box office because the fucking male bigwigs thought that it wasn't gonna do so they didn't have to pay her as much yes and then she fucking
5: she got a bunch of points on it baby
4: oh shit so we've got Wayne, we've got Garth, we've got Penelope. Let's meet a few of the other members of the cast. I know you ladies are excited to talk about Artia Carrera. Rocking the house as Cassandra Wong, the lead vocalist and bassist of the band Crucial Taunt and Wayne's Love Interest. I
3: can't do that noise. (laughs) What
4: was that, phlegm? (laughs) (laughs) You mean that? (laughs) I'm trying to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I can't do it (laughs)
3: Oh, God. (laughs) What's wrong with you guys? I don't think (laughs) I can do it. it.
4: But I can tell you this. uh, Tia Carrera was born in Honolulu, Hawaii, and is of Chinese, Filipino, and Spanish ancestry, which leads to that perfect combination, I feel, of uh, just. I guess so,
5: because she is. Abraham Lincoln.
4: She went to an all girls school and dreamed of being a singer through childhood, but those dreams were temporarily dashed when she was eliminated in the first round of Star Search in 1985 at just 17 years old. However, while shopping at a grocery store in Hawaii a local producer spotted her and put her in the movie Aloha Summer which proved to be enough of a success to get her to move to Los Angeles and pursue modeling and acting
3: now she right before she got Wayne's World they she was actually almost the love interest for David Hasselhoff in Baywatch she was supposed to be a marine biologist they were toying with the idea of this character but then she went in for the audition for Wayne's World and the producers really liked me. And then she went into audition for the, the, uh, the next audition for Baywatch and then those producers really liked me. And then she, But then for Baywatch, they wanted her to do a swimming test. And this <laughs> was all happening during the Wayne's World casting and I think that she chose that Wayne's World was essentially not only going to be exactly what she wanted, but probably a little bit easier than having to swim. Mm-hmm. That the <laughs> actual role that uh, that Tia Carrera went in for that the description was a girl from Hong Kong who speaks with a heavy Hong Kong accent but when she sings she rocks like Pat Benatar <laughs> and she says I remember going oh my god this is the part that can change my life and I can think of no one else that can do the acting and the singing and the rocking but I Can And even Tia Carrera said when she went into the audition, she went in three, four times and read like everybody else. And it was great, she says, because the final time I went in, director Penelope Spiris and Mike Myers were there. I was sitting in the waiting area and Mike came up to me. He said, you're my choice and I really want you to get this. So just keep doing what you're doing. That just made me feel so confident. So I really went in there and gave it my all. I wasn't so nervous anymore because I did feel like someone was on my side and it just so happened to be the lead guy. So that was a really nice thing he did for me, which also I'm gonna go ahead and assume he wanted to kiss her. Oh yeah, sure. (laughs) But you also have to remember too at this point in time, And even now, all this time later, it was rare to see an Mm Asian-American leading lady in a hit movie. And she even says that's due to Mike Myers' vision. He thought it was funny that you could see this rocking band and then they get off stage and they could barely speak English, which was essentially what her role was supposed to be originally, that she barely spoke English, that it was supposed to be a gag in the film. But thank God he wrote it that way, she says. Otherwise, it would have been another blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl in the lead. Mm-hmm. It got me in the door, and it changed the game for me. The That's movie awesome. put me in a position to get true lies. Yeah, and
5: man, she, she sells that part so hard. I one of the biggest pet peeves I have with like uh, you know rock bands and, and uh, movies and shit is when you put somebody in the lead who doesn't know anything about music, who doesn't give a shit about the part, just makes it phony as hell. And she doesn't. Like you feel like this chick is bad-ass mm-hmm. bitch the Well, whole Because
3: she, she is singing, she's actually singing all that music. And I mean, her voice is amazing. Yes, oh. and she actually, funny enough, uh, there's a, a fun little factoid that she's won more Grammys than any of the musicians that were in the film <laughs> because she does uh,
0: Hawaiian music. Oh, wow. Oh, shit. Wow, yeah, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fun. Price drop, time Oops. to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last.
1: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra.
4: I know Jackie is dying to talk about Rob Lowe. Of course, the uh, villain of the film. Uh- <laughs> Y'all, cancel culture,
3: I know, and I don't, you, you know, it's like that's not something we usually get into. I had no idea really? about Rob Lowe. I didn't know. I didn't know that right before this, he had, so SNL producer Lorne Michaels told Spherus that she could hire Rob Lowe to play TV producer Benjamin Oliver. But why? Two years prior, video had surfaced of the then 24-year-old actor having sex with a 16-year-old girl in a hotel room in Atlanta during the 1988 Democratic National Convention. To avoid charges related to sexual exploitation of a minor, the actor signed an agreement to enter a pre-trial diversion program that required him to complete 20 hours of community service. He must have been changed after that. <laughs> <laughs> but what I do think is very funny is that what Penelope Spheres mem- remembers, she said oh my god lauren we can't cast rob lowe and he was just caught in bed with an underage girl and lauren said oh yes but we can probably get him for very cheap and he was right <laughs> because they had such a little budget that they needed star power and they needed cheap and he's and it a was slimy th- villain like he's, <laughs> I he's think disgusting he, i think he
4: works in this in this context oddly enough unfor- oh, in yeah, ways, Unfortunately, oh yeah he's enough.
3: slimy and he's yucky
4: yuck. yeah if he was like a good guy, I think this would be a different situation a little bit. But I will say Natalie probably is actually, actually uh, dying to talk about Laura Flynn Boyle. Fantastic yes. in this film. Of course, got her big break on Twin Peaks. David Lynch really launched her career. She was definitely struggling up until that point. And man, is she great in this movie. I forgot so how good funny, she is in this funny
3: movie. funny, funny in this movie. It's a gun rat.
4: <laughs> a
5: gun. Ah, a gun. Let alone many to necessitate an entire rack. What would I do with a gun rack?
4: And I think it's unfortunate that I still actually would want to be in a relationship with her because she is beautiful and there's something about her energy in this movie that I'm like, I date her. Oh, God. Man, <laughs> she, you, I mean, she's ba- she's you are
3: very lucky to have Lexi. <laughs>
4: And there are so many other cameos in this film. Chris Farley as the security guard. Alice Cooper, of course. Mm-hmm. Meatloaf as the doorman at the Gasworks. The cl- club Garth and Wade Ed
5: O'Neill. Ed and O'Neill. I love Ed the O'Neill. Best.
4: So amazing. The oh, best.
3: I do think it's kind of fun that Chris Farley, apparently this was his first feature film, and it was on the recommendation of Lauren Michaels that, that Spheris give the budding SNL star a little part as a security guard. And Michaels warned her, that Farley was scared to be on camera. He said those weird jerky movements that he's doing when he's telling Wayne and Garth which way to go, I think that was the result of his nervousness. So it wasn't just a choice. That's great. I also thought that this was pretty great. That the band members of Crucial Taunt Who Tia Carrera is the head of the band That they were all actual Metalheads. They were one of the Best fictional rocker acts next to the Lone Rangers and Spinal Tap. Crucial Taunt's members include Mark Ferrari Who played with acts like Kiel, Cold Sweat And even guested on a Pantera album Anthony Fox of Beautiful Creatures Also played with Alice Cooper And George Foster of Reckless Who also works with Rock School In California. And I think that Because Penelope Spears Knew what she was doing. She's, yes. like, You're, or she's like, all right, if exactly. I'm going to make a band, then they have to be actual rockers. They need to know because she was aware of the fact that this is a play on being, you know, metalheads because Garth and Wayne aren't really the metalheads that she was used to working no, with. No, definitely not. <laughs>
5: But she brought the legitimacy to the scene. Yes. Especially because, Wayne, um, Wayne, Jesus, Mike Myers didn't really have any experience with music, didn't really know anything mm. about it. No.
4: I do love, too, that Alice Cooper had no idea he was going to have dialogue, much less like five pages of it. He thought he was just going to be singing the song. But he ends up totally nailing it, <laughs> like too much, much to their surprise. He
3: kills that scene. Yeah. Well, and also what's awesome, too, is that Mike Myers was aware of the fact that he is a huge history buff which is why he made the Alice Cooper jokes that he did oh, awesome. and why Alice Cooper was able to jump right in because he was like, oh, you know what I like and you know the kind of person that I would actually have that conversation with, which is why he gave him like the respect of like, all right, I'll learn it. Okay, give it to me. So good. Which is awesome.
4: Shout outs again though to Ed O'Neill, who might be my favorite <laughs> Oh my God. in the entire, in both <laughs> movies. Honestly, my favorite line of his is in Wayne's World 2, which is, why did they come to me To die? What did uh, they come to, come to, die? Me to die? <laughs> that so funny. And I think that's what makes the movie work so well. Is they really swing for the fences with insane bits like that. Like that is yes. such an out of nowhere. Like him just being a total psychotic, saying this like cryptic horrendous stuff like the steam rising out of the body when you stab a person in the cold and, uh, uh, <laughs> it's
3: just so I good it's, like so his character. it's
4: so insane and like not in a li- in line with like anything else in the movie and I think like it was. it's just constantly surprising the audience they even talk about that how they were always just trying to divert and surprise and never give you what you thought you were gonna get again like the ad- a sponsorship moment too the, the so advertising great. moment so yeah let's talk about fun Filming facts, filming. shall we? So, with the filming, I just have a few fun moments. I think one of the biggest ones is like the last shoot shot is them on the hood of that car. And the reason why they are so gay. The,
3: the, what they shot last,
5: yeah.
4: you mean in filming? Yes. Yes, yes. The, the last shot that they filmed. Uh, mm. Yeah.
5: The fight or the fun part? Because
4: the, there's two different
3: The, the
5: fun the, part with fun Abraham part.
3: Lincoln, it's all improvised.
5: See, that yeah. to me, I'll, like right there, that scene speaks to the fact, the fact. <laughs> that
3: it is more about their romance than
5: right,
4: totally. But, but even in
3: the end, when he's with with his with his buddy, that's like I love you, man. It's like he's just you know, it's brotherly love. It's yeah. brotherly, yeah. Love. and I think that that is really what what this movie is also. It centers around their brotherly love, mm-hmm. and also, unfortunately, centers around the diva dumb of Mike Myers on set. Says one executive who had a rocky relationship with Myers. I honestly root against him. Penelope Spheres said maybe he could open, like, a children's hospital to clean up his rep, she jokes darkly. He's got to do something pretty quick. Because... So Myers and Myers insist that while he can be demanding, it's always in the service of producing the best work possible, and that he's always the hardest on himself. So even Jay Roach, who directed Austin Power Films, said, I've never understood where the lore about Mike comes from. I just know he's very passionate about his work, and he wants it to be great and pushes hard for that. But once the lore begins, there's not much you can do about it. But then there's things like the day on set that he was infuriated because there was no margarine for his bagel and only butter. <laughs> Which also, yuck. It is yeah. sh- I mean, you know, and, and Penelope's fear said she found herself struggling to prop up Mike Myers' often dark moods. So Myers, who according to several sources said he suffered from hypoglycemia, stormed off the set. Now Myers' rep denies he is hypoglycemic. She says he was emotionally needy and got more difficult as the shoot went along. You should have heard him bitching when I was trying to do that Bohemian Rhapsody scene. So there's a lot around the Bohemian Rhapsody scene, of course, one of the iconic parts of this movie. And he was screaming about, "I can't move my neck like that. Like Why head do we banging? have to do this so many times? No one is gonna laugh at that." This is also perfect. After Mike
5: Myers in person. He had
3: completely <laughs> fought. To use Bohemian Rhapsody in the first place. Which is so crazy. He was the one who wanted it in, which
5: which was a fucking brilliant idea, especially for somebody who doesn't know anything about music. and Because it introduced us to Queen. I didn't know anything about that band until that movie, of course. And um, I fell in love with Queen from it. But her directing that scene is like one of the pivotal, most important parts of the movie and he didn't think yeah. it was
4: going to work he was like i don't think it's going to be funny i you know trying to get it shut down trying to get you know and kept complaining about needing advil for his head hurting yes and all because stuff.
3: It's just oh my god so apparently lorne michaels and the producer wanted to use guns and roses and in fact lorne michaels said you'll forgive me if i want to make this movie a hit to Mike Myers about using Guns N' Roses over Queen, which I mean, I also would have been fine.
5: with I him. thought about but,
4: you, Natalie, when I read that, but I still think I could I still don't think it would have been nearly as strong. Because, no, definitely. Even Rhapsody is so expressive and so dynamic, and just expre- it's an
5: unexpected, yeah, and it's an unexpected choice for
3: that
4: part, yeah. and I
5: think
3: that's what makes it stand out. Yes, yeah. and even Mike Myers had Queen at that point, not by me and not by hardcore fans, but the public had sort of forgotten about them. Freddie Mercury had gotten sick. The last time we had seen them was on Live Aid, and there were a few albums after where they were sort of straying away from their arena rock roots. But I always loved Bohemian Rhapsody. I thought it was a masterpiece, so I fought really hard for it. And at one point I said, well, I'm out. I don't wanna make this movie if it's not Bohemian Rhapsody. So he almost walked from the set. And on top of it, which I think is really beautiful, it turns out that before Wayne's World was released, Myers sent a tape of the Bohemian Rhapsody scene to queen guitarist Brian May, who showed it to Freddie Mercury. It was right before Freddie Mercury died. Brian May said, "Mike Myers gave me a tape which I took around to Freddie and played to him. Freddie loved it. He just laughed and thought it was great, this little video." The funny thing was, we always regarded the song as tongue in cheek ourselves. If it would come on the radio, we would all be headbanging when it came to the heavy bit as well, us as a group. It was very close to our sense of humor, which i think is really awesome i love that freddie. freddie mercury got to see it before he died and know that like th- 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 it did and it, bohemian rhapsody went back on the billboard charts mm-hmm. 17 years after its initial release for the uh, release for the first time since because of this movie and
5: then remember mike myers did the little cameo in the
3: the biopic
4: that's right
3: yes yes And also, Dana Carvey apparently didn't learn the lyrics to the song before shooting the scene, and now if you go back and look, you can tell that he doesn't know the words because
5: they do that close-up of him doing the end of the song, (laughs) clearly not knowing the words, and it just works
4: so well. That's so funny. Yeah, I I know Myers too was very relieved that Queen appreciated it. Is he was worried that he was quote pissing on a Picasso? Yes,
3: but it's such obviously, and I think it actually. Makes more sense that Garth would be. Oh yeah, it totally know, works because he's a silly, he's a silly head. No, I thought that it was a very, I thought that was an intentional choice, honestly. And this is even fun that down to that, Mike Myers wanted everything his exact way, mm-hmm. right? Down to the fact that yo, know, he walks out of the house that he lives in with his mother, and he and Penelope Spherus had to look at about, apparently, 50 houses before picking the right one that Mike Myers was happy enough with that he could use and even Penelope Spears says you know how in the beginning he goes hi I'm Wayne and he walks out and gets in the basement right if you look at that house it looks like every fucking house <laughs> in the valley
4: <laughs> so so true um yeah and also Dana Carvey had a lot of specific opinions too one big one being that licorice dispenser in the car so great a big point that he needed to have that they were like, you're kidding, right?
5: That's something they show after they get their money. So I don't know if that was supposed to be a, a purchase afterwards, but I like
4: <laughs> the
3: idea that, that when he gets $5,000, that's the first thing he right. You know why? It's because Mike Myers wanted the... The cassette player, or like the the player in the car, and he's like, Well, then I'm gonna get something in the car too. Right. Yeah. Because it was a part of their competition. And Mm -hmm. it makes so much sense of their competition because that's how Lorne Michaels likes to keep his actors upset and competing. Now, about Myers and Carvey's relationship, Penelope Sphere says, It's not like they butted heads or argued a lot or anything, but I'll tell you what they did. And Lauren teaches all of his people to do this. And that is compete with each other. Lauren loves, I don't care if you quote me, I'm getting too old for this shit (laughs) to have people argue and try and please him and compete with each other to the point when someone is in tears. And that's this whole movie came about of the two of them trying to one up each other.
5: Well, I will say too, a lot of these quotes from Penelope are older. Um, in her 2015 interview, she had really kind of talked about how she actually they water under the bridge. Right. She likes Mike now. She you know she understands it was his first movie, and she really learned a lot. And like she doesn't want to keep a hold on at all this anger and like yeah all they shit. did
4: a big reunion <laughs> panel actually I think yes. Lord Michaels yeah. hosted it and yes. yeah they really buried the hatchet I think in a big way yeah. during that and so yeah these are I all I kind of
3: love how angry these quotes no, are yeah. like, this is at the prime of right after when she was so fucking yeah, yeah, yeah. pissed about all of it yeah because she doesn't get to direct direct Wayne's World 2 which well, we'll yeah, into.
4: which we're going to get into I think now do you have anything else about uh, the production or can we move into post production it's,
5: it's cool it's a cool movie um <laughs>
4: I do it, no, it's a great
3: movie. I just wanted to talk about the red dress in the <laughs> end that Tia sure. Carrera wears. So Dia Carrera, of course, was just as obsessed with all of her outfits. And apparently the red stretch lace dress is from Trashy Lingerie, a great store in oh, LA, which yeah, also of course. we should go to Trashy Lingerie. She says, I still have it. It's in my closet, hermetically sealed. Wow. Yes. I was very shy about my body. I felt like my hips and thighs were too big. I, oh it's so gross. So anyway, which is ridiculous disgusting. now that I see the movie. Yeah. A model, so I was worried about looking fat, which is so dumb because I was so skinny. Yeah, I don't know if you recall that scene where she's wearing
5: the best bikini of all time, the blue sequin one. And I remember as a kid just being like, "Oh, this is what a lady looks like." I wonder. (laughs) I want to look like a lady. I wonder if I will.
3: And Ever. part of their distinguishing factors, of course, Wayne always has the hat on. He always has the black shirt on. And Garth always wears a variety of band shirts. They, in the movie, they include two Van Halen shirts, including their 1988 album, OU812, a Motley Crue Dr. <laughs> Feel Good top, and an Aerosmith Aero Force One fan club t shirt. And I did want to talk real quick about the soundtrack of the movie. Of course. Be- Because it was so outstanding. It peaked at number one on the Billboard 200 chart in 1992 and was certified double platinum by the RIAA in 1997. So, this was the first time since Prince's Batman album in August of 1989 that a movie soundtrack landed the number one spot on the Billboard charts. You go back and listen to it. The album is absolutely amazing, you know. The ballroom blitz that Tia Carrera actually sings on it is so amazing. Yeah, and Tia Carrera sang all of her own vo- vocals on the song, which she never in happens. The like the fact no. that she did that is so cool. And she says, despite never playing bass guitar before, she had to learn four songs on the instrument in just three weeks. She says, I was dreadful, but at least my fingers moved in the right way. I, mean, I never played bass again. I had so much respect for Sting after that.
5: I, as, as somebody who doesn't really know bass, I bought it. I don't know if somebody who is a bass player would agree, but
3: it looked like she was playing to me. Yeah. I, I mean, I thought that it looked good. I'd say and it. also, apparently, Mike Myers was very upset. That after the movie, Penelope Spheres directed a new Bohemian Rhapsody video featuring music from their... Featuring footage from the movie mm. Mike Myers was mortified When the new version of Bohemian Rhapsody Video was released, interspersing clips Of Wayne's World with the original promo Which is when he had said, they just whizzed On a Picasso oh. <laughs> Then he said, they didn't whiz on the Picasso In the movie, and ah. then he
4: said They just whizzed on the gotcha. Picasso As what he said about the music video Well, and that's very telling Going into the editing, this is what uh, Penelope, I almost called her Britney Spears again This is what Penelope Spears had to say I always say I had to shoot the movie a few different ways. I shot it Mike's way. I shot it Dana's way. I shot it my way. Uh, sometimes I shot it the Bonnie, Terry, and Lorne way. But I knew that when I got into the editing room, I could put it together the way that I wanted. And that's exactly what I did. And so, so apparently this leads to a test screening during which Mike Myers is seething. Because uh, there are takes that he wanted in there that weren't used. There were jokes that maybe didn't go over as well as he wanted. Yada, he wasn't yada,
3: yada. even in the screening, though. Ah. He heard about the
4: screening and was pissed off about all of it.
5: Oh, right, because his dad passed away. His yeah. dad had passed
4: away. And then gives Spherus several pages of suggested Eleven changes. 11
3: pages of suggested cuts.
4: None of which she ends up using. She puts her foot down. And even Lauren took her side and was like, He's not going to let you direct the sequel if you don't use any of his changes. She's like, this is the movie. This is it. It's great. And she's right. It's great. I I couldn't imagine. I'm sure there are other takes that would go over just as well or whatever. But I mean, how perfect is this film? And so, yeah, I would love that. And she puts her foot down. And of course, that is legendarily what leads Mike Myers to not allow her to make wayne's world 2 which i think was a massive misstep it was so the film opens in february of 1992 it goes on to gross 183.1 million dollars globally on a budget of 13 million and Ooh. yeah just massively huge uh leads to a terrible video game awful fucking game
5: oh i never played it, it was, was it a computer game
4: uh, Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, NES, and Game Boy game. It is oh, no. very yeah. bad. The graphics are just look it up. It's they're like bobbleheads. You can't play as Gar. You can only play as Wayne. Uh, oh. It's just really confusing, like maze those, puzzles. Like,
5: those the, promo movie video games usually were garbage. It's
4: funny how bad licensed video games used to be to the point where I had to, as a kid, I started to realize like, don't get the Spider Man game. Don't get the movie mm-hmm. game. Don't get the Simpsons game. I remember how bad the RoboCop game was, Trash. The RoboCop arcade game, actually, pretty good. But either way, I digress. Uh, Yeah, did you have anything else to say, Jackie, uh, before we move into the sequel? Or now? No, let's jump. Let's make the jump. I don't have a ton about the sequel. I will say this, though. I may be a bit of a sequel apologist. I enjoy things about the sequel. Again, I think think Wayne's World, the first movie, is, is like a collection of incredibly... Quotable moments and scenes Wayne's World 2 is like Half of it is that And the other half is not as good It
5: lacks the connective tissue That Penelope Spheres brought Which was creating that environment That scene The legi- legitimacy of the music and yeah. the people It was very commercialized Corporatized in yes. the second one Where they, they kind of like Talked about music in the way that Like a brand would figure out. Like, oh, The Doors is a band. Right. Let's talk about The
4: Doors. But I will say, the, the Grody, was pretty hilarious. A uh, he's of my favorite. death with his own, with his own shoes. shoes.
5: <laughs> he's, he's my favorite part. <laughs> favorite part there's,
4: there's plenty of funny moments in it, but again, it's not this like, just, scene after scene of just memorable amazingness like the first one
3: it is it is it's also just showing that like just you giving more money to a movie doesn't make a movie any better just because now so originally in the first Wayne's World Aeros like Mike Myers wanted Aerosmith to perform and not Alice Cooper and Aerosmith turned it down but of course after seeing how successful the first one was you know what Aerosmith decided to be in the second movie it's like Oh well Alice Cooper was so much better for yes. that part anyway. And it
5: was much more fitting, much more like true to like the metal scene. Aerosmith was already sort of like a floofy big but time. But it just band. shows
3: that they did exactly what they didn't want to be doing in the first movie. That's what I feel like the second movie reeks of that. Oh, and yeah. not of like, I'm not against the idea of selling out, but the idea no. of just like, no, you there's just no, lost your your drive. There's you lost no heart in it. It's no like it was like, it was like if. It was a Coke
5: commercial Yeah, That was the second movie it felt like There's of course funny stuff in it because funny sure. people are in
4: it There are some reasons for this as well though First of oh, all I will man. say Steven Sergic took over the directing He started out directing film segments for the kids in the hall Connects him to Lorne Connects him to the project Did mostly TV stuff outside of this film He's done a million different shows directing wise Bates Motel, Marvel's Jessica Jones Just tons and tons of stuff Superhero stuff, crime stuff, yada 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 now, this is where it gets a little interesting when it comes to Wayne's World 2. Mike Myers' original script had Wayne and Garth forming their own country and seceding from the U.S. after finding an ancient scroll, a story from a British comedy film from 1949 called Passport of Pimlico. Which
3: is about, a film about a region of Britain that discovers that due to a recently unearthed manuscript, they're actually part of the Burgundy region of France. (laughs) Which is why Mike Myers was so hell-bent on essentially remaking this movie movie under the terms of Wayne's world for some reason but to the point that he thought that Paramount had gotten the rights to essentially remake this movie
4: they had not and they (laughs) found out that this was actually taken from an old movie like deep into pre-production and literally like just halted the whole thing the director uh Sergic said I could hear chainsaws like ripping down sets that's how Oof. rough it was. And they're freaking out at Mike Myers because he didn't share this with them that they, you know, because they needed the rights. I
3: love this line though, the Sherry Lansing, because Sherry Lansing, who was the studio exec that wrote this book, she said to him in a meeting, How dare you? How dare you put us in this position? We'll (laughs) sue you. We'll take your fucking house. You won't even own a fucking home. And apparently another Paramount bigwig, John Goldwyn, reveals in Galloway's book that Lansing said, as I'm sitting here with you, there's a team figuring out how they can take every single thing away from you. (laughs) Goldwyn goes on to say the outburst left Myers so shaken that he curled up in a fetal position on Lansing's couch. Yeah, but I I just imagine this woman screaming
5: at him. <laughs> didn't stop him because he did that in Shrek. In the middle of Shrek, he decided he was going to change his accent and they had to go back and <laughs> waste $5 million worth of animation. Check
4: out Wizard and the Bruiser episode on Shrek. Recently came out a couple uh, of months ago. Essentially, what she tells him to do was she was like, you better go hole up in Lorne Michaels'
3: office and we'll slip you food under the door <laughs> until you finish writing this
4: new fucking script. <laughs> so I think the film also suffered because of that whole he dude. had to rewrite it so fast yeah <laughs> and also it wasn't like Dana
3: Carvey was gonna help it wasn't yeah. like anybody yeah. was gonna fucking help him either wow. at this yeah. point
4: it's true uh, so you do have some fun cast members in this one. Christopher Walken, most notably Kevin Pollack, Kim Basinger, with uh, cameos from Jay Leno, Heather Locklear, Robert Smigel, Bob Odenkirk, Charlton Heston, Aerosmith, and many more.
5: Farley. Farley's in it And again.
4: Farley is in it again, mm. absolutely. and But the thing totally tanks. It, it does just... It, barely makes a profit, which isn't good in Hollywood It was
3: standards. given a $40 million budget as opposed to the $14 million budget that the first one had, and it only took in $48.2 million. Yeah.
4: It came out during the Christmas season, and I remember this season... That it came out because it was comp- competing with Mrs. Doubtfire, Schindler's List, and The Pelican Brief.
3: I mean, if I'm going to choose Wayne's World 2 or Schindler's, Schindler's List, List. <laughs> oh, especially and Christmas time all wrapped into one.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's all I got. I think is that our episode on Wayne's World, ladies. Man,
3: it is our episode on Wayne's World. I think that in ending in this, the this quote from Penelope Spheres on the lasting qualities of Wayne's World. She says, when you watch Wayne's World, it reminds you of how we can all just be really happy. And I think that's really what has given it its lasting nature. I think it comes from that early 20s teenage exuberance that you have and thinking that the world is all great. I think that's why people like it.
5: I agree. Right?
4: Yeah. Yep, 100%. There you go. That's our episode on... Waynesboro.
0: Wayne's
5: Wayne's we uh, we all nerded out pretty hard on different pretty things on the show. On so, so I one, hope everybody yeah. listening doesn't uh, doesn't mind that. We all just went on tangents
3: about (laughs) our favorite things. Watch Wayne's World. It it will put a smile on your face with the soundtrack. Soundtrack still puts a smile on my face. I love Alice Cooper. I want to kiss his little face. And thank you guys so much for joining us for Wayne's World.
4: Hell yeah. You can check us out further at patreon.com forward slash page seven podcast. Bonus content every single week, $5 a month. Check me out. Twitch.tv forward slash Ho. I'm on there with Jackie every Friday night. That is six, my name. P M E T Jack and Niece.
3: Get in. Get in. My name is Jackie Zabraski Follow me on Instagram at JackThatworm. And also I think we're gonna post a couple pictures of these cats and their little hats.
0: Oh, we're gonna. <laughs>
3: <laughs> they should be illegal because cats are angry.
5: <laughs> you can follow me at the Natty Gene and page seven LPN on all that. Stuff.
4: And All that jazz. Did
3: you just say cats were canceled? Cats are canceled. Whoa, new Whoa, thing. I agree Party with Natalie, actually.
4: Hats. Way more of a dog person. Party on, Natalie. Party on. Cat hats are canceled as well. Party on, both of my friends. Party on, Jackie.
5: swing <laughs> Bye, everybody. Give me an erection
3: This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just
4: listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.
0: Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses. Plus, updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find?
1: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's.